Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, authors, theologians, political pundits, media people, and assorted others about the lens through which they experience life. My guest today is Jennifer Briney. Jen is the host of the wildly popular Congressional Dish podcast, which is my favorite new political podcast because it's unlike anything else out there. Jen just does independent granular analysis of what's going on in Congress. And she does it in a way that's fun, funny, and engaging. It's sort of like if C-SPAN met Comedy Central in a podcast. I encourage you to check it out, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jen as much as I did. I give you Jen Briney. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I have I've only listened to a few of your podcasts. I'm already a big fan of the Congressional Dish. Now, this is a unique podcast because you actually this is like if you fuse C-SPAN with Comedy Central, and it would be what you'd get in a long form kind of format, right? And basically, you I go take that through, as a huge compliment. I love uh, that. Well, it's sincere. I mean, you basically go through C-SPAN and the Congressional Record and, and every detail of major legislation, things that most people wouldn't have the time to do, even if they really were interested. Even people that are interested in politically active just don't have the time. And you do like long form podcasts and wrap it up in a pretty funny, fun bow with all the details. And you highlight what you think we think, you know, what you think we should think is important about the political process, right? That's the goal. And to hear a newbie say that, it's like, yay, (laughs) apparently I'm doing something right. So yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I do. And I'm really just kind of following the stuff that I think is important, but isn't covered. So it's like right now, you know, if anyone talks to a Russian, there's half of Congress freaking out about it. I haven't said the word Russia now in, I don't know, three, four months. So you um, just said it right there. Well, yeah, but on the show, like I'm not covering that because I feel like that's a distraction from like the healthcare law. And I'm doing an episode right now on the air traffic controllers. They're trying to privatize our air traffic controllers, which I bet nobody knows. So, um, so those are the type of things I'm looking for. And what I love, so I know much who about- Jared, I know who Jared Kushner's meeting with though. Oh, I bet you do. Everybody <laughs> does. Yeah. And I bet it's a Russian, which I still don't understand when that became illegal, especially the Russian ambassador. Like, aren't we supposed to talk to him? Like, I don't understand the whole scandal, but I'm ignoring that and looking at the actual legislation in the hearings. And there's just, there's so much fascinating stuff going on in Congress every day. And it touches every subject and every person. And, um, I, I love, I, I don't particularly love this Congress, but I love the subject matter because it really is important. And, um, the hidden stories, I mean, it, it's just hidden gems every single day in that body. Now, have you always been a political person? No, 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 (laughs) no, this started. um, So in 2003, I was a junior in college and I had just broken up with someone I loved very much. And so I wanted to escape. And so I decided to go to Germany and study abroad. And while I was there, it was, I was there from January till May of 2003. And in the middle of that, we started a war with Iraq. And so I was kind of forced to pay attention because they, they had us on standby, basically like if the shit hits the fan, they're going to send us home. And so all of us were watching it closer than we would have otherwise. And there was also just this culture in Europe where everyone was paying attention. So like we would go to the bars and that's what was on TV. You know, it was like Tony Blair talking to parliament. Like that's what everyone was talking about. And so when I, I experienced that, didn't really understand what I was seeing, but, and then I came home and no one was talking about the war. So I felt very socially isolated. I felt like I wanted to discuss this stuff and no one at home did. And then there was another turning point where, um, when I was in Germany, it was right after Bush gave that state of the union where he said, you know, Saddam Hussein is trying to get uranium from Africa. Remember that? So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he says that. We go to commercial break, and in German, they came back on the local news and said, you know, there's intelligence out of Great Britain that says that this isn't true. And so my host mother had translated for me, and we talked about it for a little bit, and then I I forgot about it. So then three years later, in 2006, Valerie Plame got outed because her husband, Joe Wilson, had gone to Africa 
and found out that that claim wasn't true. So I had known this for three years, but yet the people at home didn't know. So why did I find out after the commercial break and people here didn't? So that's when I started watching our media and I saw the documentary Outfoxed. And that's really, that was a good documentary for me to learn what you guys saw while I was overseas. And it was the, the shock and awe and like, look how cool our planes are. Like it was just a completely different conversation. And that's when I really started seeing things for how they are and understanding that our media is getting paid by the people that are getting paid for these wars. And, and now it's so much bigger. It's like the media is paid by the pharmaceutical industry and the Walmarts of the world. And it's like our news is just as corrupt as our government. I think the two problems go together. And, um, and yeah, so it's just been an obsession ever since just trying to understand why my experience in Europe was so different from what I found it home. And now it's just exploded into, I don't know what's going on in the world and I'm trying to figure it out. So do you think your experience with Europeans being more politically aware, astute and conversational, do you think, is it chicken and the egg? I mean, you already described how the media is different. And it's not just the shock and awe, like lightning track bullet sort of shots, but also is it a better educated consumer of the news? You know, are they catering to a different audience or people just more concerned about world affairs, do you think, in your experience? That's a really good question. And I do think because, you know, the world wars were fought on their turf. So I think people are much more aware of the consequences of war. So for instance, the house that I was living in, the only thing about this house that was original, that was more than 50 years old, were just the outside walls because a a bomb had dropped through it. It was a four-story house. It was like a vertical um, thing. A bomb had dropped through it and blew up everything in the middle. So they were able to keep the outside walls, but everything in the middle was new. And this house had been in the family for generations. I actually got to meet um, Elka's father. Was He was a Nazi soldier. And it was really it was crazy for me to listen to a conversation between him and my dad at Easter where he is saying, I've seen this before and America has to be careful because like, I don't, he didn't think he was an evil person, but he didn't know what his country was doing. You know, like there was a lot of stuff that you support your country. You don't ask questions. And so to have that at that time, like that's what I was being told by a literal Nazi, like, you know, who's a, a human being to me. He was the grandfather to these kids that I loved very much in the house. And, and he was a good person. Like he loved his smart car, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he was a great dude and I love his daughter. And so it's like, it humanized the whole thing for me. And so in Europe, when you're talking about having a war in Iraq, like one of our major bases is in Germany. So that's where the planes are flying out of. It does make Germany a target, not that Iraq could fight back, but let's say like with Syria, Russia got involved. So let's say Russia gets involved, like that German base would be a target. And I think because we're so physically distant, it makes us emotionally distant too, because we're not really afraid of the drones bombing us here in a way that people in Europe are. I mean, the distance is not that great. And a couple of years later, you, you describe how in 2010, you were watching C-SPAN, nerd alert, and you saw <laughs> Tom Cole, who was represented from uh, Oklahoma, successfully attach an amendment protecting secret campaign contributions into a government funding bill. And that's when you started reading the congressional record. Yeah, that was only the second time I had looked up something in the congressional record. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was cleaning dog hair off of the floor and I heard it first. And then I looked and I was like, there's no way that if this guy did this, he would get up and brag about it. Like, there's no way that I'm hearing this properly. So I looked it up in the congressional record. I looked up not only his words, they were exactly what I thought they were, but then I found it in the bill. And I had taken business law in college, which is why the bill language doesn't, um, does intimidate me. I found it easy while everyone else thought it was the hardest class in the world. So, um, I was able to look it up in the bill and yep, the amendment was there. But the most shocking part of that experience is I turned on the TV because I figured someone would cover it. Like I figured Rachel Maddow would cover it. She was the first one I went to and she didn't. Um, but like, it's a news program on TV, like, all right, fine, forgiven. But then I went to the internet and there wasn't a single article. There wasn't a single blog post. It was like, it never even happened. And so that was really where I went, okay, how often does this happen? So I started looking at the congressional record more regularly and it happens quite a bit. And that's where I went, all right, I'm not afraid of the bill language. 
I'm not really doing anything too important with my life. And this is a hole I could fill. I can't necessarily, you know, become one of the majors in media, but let's say I get like five or 10 reporters that can listen to me and I'm feeding them these stories. Like that's really what the goal was, um, was just do to re- be like, do reporters listen to you now? Yes. They and, do. and you know that you keep in touch I with do. them and they say, thanks for this. And do they call you and no. ask you questions? No, no, no. Um, I put all my notes on the internet. So that's actually one of the reasons these episodes take so long is that like, for instance, my last one was the American Healthcare Act. So I not only outline the bill, but I link to every provision. So I'll tell you what the provision does in plain language, but you can click on the link and it'll take you to that specific paragraph so you can read it for yourself because I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. So I think the journalists that listen to me that I haven't heard from, they just go to my sources and use them in their own work. And then the few journalists I have heard from, um, they've, I've had a few people say thank you, but, but no, I know that people listen. And I, I've also gotten information from people in DC that people in DC are starting to listen to. So that's where this whole job gets a little scary for me because it's, I'm really good at being the chick in the back of the room throwing the spitballs, but I don't really want anyone paying attention to me. And it's starting to happen, which I know is like technically success, but <laughs> if you see people in like scary government cars with like dark suits, are you, are you like looking over your shoulder like, oh my gosh? No, I haven't gotten to that crazy point yet, but I could see it happening. <laughs> like I could see at some point if I find something and I talk about it. Um, you know, these are some pretty crazy people we've elected, especially in the, the executive branch. We have some vindictive people. And um, yeah, I don't know. I know that I'm taking a risk, but then I also think of people like, my best friend went and fought in the Iraq war and, and he had a friend of his get shot in the head. Like there's, there's different ways to serve your country and the direct danger to me physically is less than that. So I don't really, I've had my moments where I stay awake at night, but, but no, I'm not, I'm not that worried. So tell me a little bit about your last episode was about, which I found mind blowing and helpful about the H the AH. C-A, the American Health Care Act. You're not a huge fan of this piece of legislation that came out of the House. No. That's <laughs> an understatement. A scale, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being good, 1 being dog shit. 1. Where would you put this? 1, dog shit. Okay, so, that, where we are, so it's literally a piece of dog shit. It is. I mean, they're so careless in writing this bill. And I've had so many people check this for me now. And it seems... Like I'm, I'm right. Just like the Tom Cole thing. I can't believe I'm seeing it, but there's a section. Like when you edit a bill, a lot of times what they do is they take a piece of current law, cross it out and replace it. Right. They replaced a piece of current law with the same text that is the current law. So that made it through both versions, which tells me that they are crafting this so quickly and so hastily. And there's been no hearings for anyone to point this out. Um, But it tells me that they're doing this so fast and they haven't thought through it that that's allowed to happen now in two versions. No one's caught the mistake yet. So um, that's a factor. But then also they're just breaking the system. You Mm. know, like it's an ideological thing that's happening here. They're not creating a better system. They're breaking the one that they say they don't like. And and it's going to have real world consequences for people in a way that, it is personal for me because before the Affordable Care Act, I had a very close friend. We were friends since we were six years old. She got leukemia when we were 15. Um, she went into remission a year later, and then it came back with a vengeance. And we were told that she could survive maybe with a bone marrow transplant, but her insurance company turned it down. So by the time her parents were able to like scrap together any money, because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, she was already dead. So when I think about healthcare and the role health insurance plays in our lives, health insurance, health insurance company for their financial reasons killed one of my oldest friends. And that makes it personal for me. And I can also put myself very easily in the shoes of people that are going to lose their health insurance. Cause I know for a fact, if you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in your bank account, you die. <laughs> I've seen it. It's not, it's not a theory for me. Like I've seen it happen. And the Congressional Budget Office, which, of course, like they're trying to predict the future, so it's not exact, but they're saying that we're going to have 14 million people lose their insurance next year, and then we'll have 51 million people without insurance by 2026. So those are very real consequences for very real human beings, and um, and to do it so carelessly, I'm I'm just I'm very much against that bill. And, and it's it's interesting, right? Because 
in some way, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, took, in some ways, took redistributed from wealthier sectors of our society to people, subsidized people with less income. Mm-hmm. And then people who are kind of a lot of working class folks who the economy is not, you know, it's being tough on it this season. They voted for Trump and then got a bill for the Republicans that took money away from them and gave it to rich people and corporations for tax yeah. cuts and subsidies. I mean, it's like the opposite. This bill strikes me as the opposite of Robin Hood. Like, let's let's get take from the poor and give to the rich. It right? is. It is. And I've traveled to 40 out of the 50 states now, and I feel bad for the people in the country because they believe what the television tells them. So I almost don't even hold them at fault for that. Um, I hope they learn from this. Um, but when I travel in the middle of the country, Fox News is on all the time. That's what everybody watches. And I, do, I, I can't say I understand why. But then you just look at like the people are physically isolated from each other. I mean, here in the Bay Area, I can't walk outside without bumping into someone, you know, but in the middle of the country, it's just a very different way of living. So your connection to the outside world and your connection to the information about what's happening in DC is often through the television and through the news. And they're being done a huge disservice with the way what is happening is being covered. Because if you turn on Fox News right now, they're not telling you the details that I told you. They're not looking at it from that perspective. They're looking at it from a Republican Party versus Democratic Party thing. And I think a lot of people are being tricked in a way that could literally kill them. I mean, I know that sounds so extreme, but it's the people in Medicaid that are going to lose their their health insurance first. And there's a lot of people on Medicaid in the middle of this country, um, in the Trump zones. It's not just the middle of the country. We have plenty of people in California that voted for Trump, too. I shouldn't say that. But but yeah, there's a lot of low-income people that are going to be seriously hurt by this. And I don't think that they understand how or why this is happening. I used to put, watch the Fox 5 like like uh, at 5 o'clock. I'd just put it on and see what people are thinking about. And my wife would come home from work and she would call it the libido killer. Basically, <laughs> and then she would then she just pulls out her phone in the background, like fact checking, like that's bullshit, that's bullshit. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, so it, it is interesting too. To, do you think also the people? I mean, even people that voted for Trump and Republicans in places like California and some of the other blue states will not be as badly hurt by some of the stuff as the people in some of the red states in the middle of the country. I mean, it, just because of uh, it's just interesting that that. You know, the blue states in some sense subsidize the red states too, right? I mean, you look at like the blue states, they pay, California pays like, um, get set, get for every like dollar they put in to the federal government, they get like 70 cents back. Where a lot of red states are actually get more per dollar than they put in. And then a lot of them are the ones that complain about big government (laughs) when they're actually getting subsidized. It's true, but that's not how, um, how they have. The American Healthcare Act will hurt people on a state basis because one of the main things that it does is it allows the states to determine what's an, an essential health benefit and what isn't. So that's where what state you live in is going to matter to an extent. So being here, and, in and they're telling us right, no one's going to take the um, ex- like exemption. Right, you know, the states can sort of um, determine if they want an exemption from the the pre-existing condition thing, right? And then everybody mm-hmm. assures us, but no state would want to do that. But my guess is when insurance companies start throwing enough lobbying money around, a lot of states might want to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Congressional Budget Office thinks that quite a few of them are going to do it. Um, you don't put this stuff in legislation if you think that no one's going to do it, but that's another one of the problems. That is exactly the argument that you're hearing. Yeah, the waivers are in there, but who's going to do it? And, like, it's so disingenuous, you know? So... I just think people are being disserved um, with the information they're getting, even on the the like so-called like blue channels like MSNBC, because if I turn it on right now, I guarantee you they're screaming about Russia. And when they do talk about the American Health Care Act, and a lot of times they're factually wrong. So like the pre-existing conditions thing is a good example. They keep saying that this allows people with pre-existing conditions to like be thrown off health insurance. That's not accurate. What it does do is it says that in the states that get the waiver, so again, what state you're in matters, but the states that get the waiver can charge people with pre-existing conditions a lot for one year 
if they let their coverage lapse. So the way that people would be served in this moment where this might become law is not every single person in this country needs to be told, don't let your coverage lapse. Like get Obamacare right now. I don't care if it's expensive for you right now. You need health insurance if you have a pre-existing condition because as long as you have it, they can't price gouge you. That's not what you're being told on the television. Instead, it's this ideological battle between Democrats and Republicans and the facts are just getting lost on both sides. You know? And what's interesting, too, I, in your podcast, you not only go through a granular level detail legislation, you also play, you also kind of dub in excerpts from actual hearings and actual committee meetings. And sometimes you do the service of narrating, offering your own commentary about how much each representative is getting from what in, from which industry. And there's a guy from New Jersey, I think. Didn't you see? He hasn't been in Congress that long and has gotten like six figures already from that. From yeah. That? Is it oh, Mc, that's what's routine. His name? What was his uh, name? Is it McGovern? Not McGovern. No, um, no, no. McGovern I really like. Um, he, he's the Rules Committee guy, right? McGovern. Yes. Is, yeah, yeah. And okay. he taught me, he has taught me so much about how Congress works. And right now there's only three Democrats. Yeah, no. McGovern, Elsie, there's only three or four Democrats on the rules committee. It's mainly Republicans. Uh, And so, so yeah, these, these four, three of them, however many, like they're my favorite sound clippers because they are so tired of this stuff. Um, But the New Jersey guy, I can't remember what his name is, but yeah, that is normal, unfortunately, for these people to get six figures very, very quickly from these industries. And like, they say that it's not bribery because it goes to their campaigns. But then if you think about what campaigns buys you, like you can charge meals to your campaign. You can have parties in your own, like in your own honor. Like who wouldn't want to do this stuff? You can have advertisements telling the world how great you are. Like that's where so much of the money goes to. And that advertising thing is so corrupting too with the campaign funds because that makes the candidates the customers of the media. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. And so if the candidates are the ones that are feeding you, you're not biting their hands or holding them to account. So, is, that, is that the reform that would, like, the single reform that would maybe sh- help the system the most if we had real campaign finance reform, if there was real, oh. if you really could keep special interest money out and there were real serious limits, just because special interest would be really hemmed in and people would have to debate on the actual merits of things? Yes, Yes, I think that's the root of all of our problems. I really do. I think that if we made bribery illegal again, uh, put that on a trucker hat. But if we did that, I think that would solve so much of our problems because it doesn't matter what issue I'm researching. It When the congressmen do things that hurt us and favor a giant business, almost every single time I can look up their campaign funding and see a direct connection. It's almost too easy. So... Um, and just the numbers are staggering, you know, like the amount of money that these are people are bringing in every year. I could buy a nice house. <laughs> That's an enormous amount of cash. It's interesting. I was watching uh, someone on, on Fox News and they were saying that they were it was Eric Bowling and he was actually praising the uh, the Republican bill and saying, hey, look, you know, if you look at in Europe, they spend way less of their percentage of GDP than we do on healthcare. So it's time for us to get that, you know, fix. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, well, yeah, they all have a version of single payer. We're going in the opposite direction yes. <laughs> with this. Leg- I mean, it's just, it's just interesting that we're the only major industrialized country in the world that's going more in the free market direction as opposed to more of a single payer system of some sort, right? It's true. Yeah. And it's frustrating on my end because I do have a lot of people because at this point I am forced to defend the Affordable Care Act, which I don't want to do because it's a system based on private health insurance at the center, you know, but our two choices right now with this particular Congress are the Affordable Care Act, which has some rules for insurance or the American Health Care Act, which takes those rules away. So if you're looking at the two options we have, the Affordable Care Act is better, but there's amazing things about single payer. Like even if we only had the government and our taxes paying for the essential health benefits, that's enough. Then if you want to have extra insurance, like go ahead, we don't have to dismantle the entire insurance industry, but that's not even a conversation that's being had in Congress, even though it is being had in the rest of the country. And what that tells me is that we're not doing a good job of electing people to Congress that really do represent us. And after watching this for four and a half, now five years, And I look at how often the incumbents are getting reelected. 
despite doing a horrific job the entire time I've been doing this podcast. That's a real problem because they have learned correctly that it doesn't matter what they do. They can keep their jobs. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because it's in the 90 percent, I think 91 to 95 percent of like incumbents get reelected. And then Congress's approval rating is only 13 percent. So why is there that gap? I mean, that's – and do you think also – you know, I I heard a guy named Dan Carlin who does a history podcast and Common Sense uh, with Dan Carlin talks about political issues. He says, you know, basically, you know, he's got this great radio. He says, my grandmother was great at raising money for the rotary and the bake sale. She was the best. Some people have a knack for raising money. And he said basically that if you go to run for public office, right, at any level, local mayor, council, whatever, the first thing the party people are going to say, either party, how is your fundraising capacity? Yep. And, and each level you get up the rung, right? You're, it's because you're get you're better at better and better at dialing for dollars and building a network that dials for dollars. So by the time you get to the national level, it's not because you're a policy expert or, or decisive decision maker that analytically. It's because you're good at dialing for dollars. Bingo. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean that's so it's 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 no surprise that we get this kind of a system, right? Because it's it, it that's what we put the premium on, you know. Well, I mean, I don't even think it's necessarily the system because when you think about the system, I still like the way it's set up because the House of Representatives, for example, we can fire every single one of them every two years. That's systemic. Um, the the campaign finance. Right, guess, right, right. The system with the campaign. Yeah, from yeah, it. yeah. yeah, yeah so it's right, like, and that's right. something that we can fix. We can Absolutely. either do it through the states with a constitutional amendment. Or we can fire Congress and make the one prerequisite that you will make bribery illegal. Um, I think at this point, that's a pretty difficult route. Um, I think Doesn't that seem like such a radical policy solution? Let's make bribery illegal. Who's against bribery? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I don't think it's radical at all. And that's why I like it so much. Because it really will solve so many of our problems. If the, if the people aren't able to get hundreds of thousands of dollars from industry, well... <laughs> then they're probably not going to legislate on behalf of those industries just as much. They're going to care more about the voters because at the end of the day, like what they really want is your vote, but the money is what influences our votes. But our votes are still the thing that lets them keep their jobs. Although I don't even know if these people would want to keep their jobs because the job itself only pays a minimum wage only um, of $174,000 a year. But yet these people are going to Congress and they're walking out millionaires because of their insider knowledge and because of the campaign system, because the campaign can pay so much of their basic expenses. I mean, think about it. Anytime you travel the world, like your campaign can pay for it or the government pays for it. So there's a lot of things they're not paying for out of pocket so they can pocket their salaries. Like, But if you took the bribery out of it, if you didn't make the campaign such a, a lucrative, like lush thing to have if it really did only go towards buying stamps for mailers then i don't think the job would be as attractive to these corrupt money grubbing um power hungry jerks you know and you have never been a registered democrat you started you've been a republican you're an independent now right i'm a nothing i am unenrolled you're you're unaffiliated you're 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 a voter but you're on you're you're not it's interesting because it's one of the things i appreciate about your podcast is that you are so non-ideological i mean you just kind of you really just talk about the facts on the ground as you see them and not that you don't editorialize or offer you're very honest about your own biases your own opinions but they're not like ideological biases i mean they're not the kind of biases that come from the right or the left. I mean, they're usually, you, you talk about your own commitments and posi- based on geeking out on C-SPAN or the congressional record, yeah. right? And like the biases I have, like I have a, um, I definitely have an anti-fossil fuel bias because I resent the poison. <laughs> you know, I'm concerned about the climate change stuff, but I also don't know who to believe. But when it comes to walking by a bus and getting lost in that cloud of exhaust and just like the cars choking the road, like I've been trying to get us to like a clean energy future to be a cheese ball about it. But like, I believe strongly in clean energy for so many reasons, not the least of which is my own health and the health of everyone around me. And like, that's a bias that I have that I guess I get labeled as being a liberal all the time because of it, but it's really just, I don't want to burn fossil fuels anymore, you know? So it's like, I do have biases, but I also don't know a single person on earth who doesn't. So yeah, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. I try not to be ideological. I just, I don't know. It's just such a weird... <laughs> such well, a- no, but that's fresh. I mean, it's actually a very fresh perspective because 
your criticisms of policies are really actually policy criticisms. I mean, they're not sort of strictly crassly political criticisms. I mean, you 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 speak from a measured perspective, and I mean, you're very excited, passionate, but and fun, and you know, throw in some colorful expletives, which is fun too. But <laughs> uh, but I mean, you you your your honesty is is refreshing. Which is, I mean, I if any all of our listeners. I mean, I would encourage you if you care at all about the process. It's a very, it's a it's a voice you don't hear much of today. Well, thank you. It's been a very odd six months. Let me tell you, um, the ideological battle that I feel like I'm being caught in. Um, it's been really unpleasant. There's been a lot of my team versus your team. It's been very ugly when it comes to the executive branch stuff. Um, it's it feels pretty lonely to be honest to just be in this spot where like I don't have a team. So, I mean, I'm I'm finding my people through the podcast, but it's um it's something that I try to do, but I also feel like it would be a lot easier if I would just pick one. <laughs> well, or, or maybe a lot of people are on that team, but that team has no voice. Maybe. You know, there are a lot of people that are in, you know, the muddled middle, the reflective middle, <laughs> the radical middle that but there's no lobbying money in that. You know, there's no yeah. like, you know, it's you, you kind of the system is set up for you know, red or blue. Yeah. And actually the numbers back that up. Cause when you look at the presidential election, about half of us just didn't vote and that's an enormous m- number. And what it tells me is that about a quarter of us are Democrats, a quarter are Republican. And then there's the other half of us that I'm definitely in where I don't know what to do, but I don't feel like I'm being represented by either of these parties. So yeah, I feel lost most of the time and it's, it's frustrating. And I guess I hope that maybe I can create that team of people that are more policy oriented and get away from the, the, the red versus blue. I don't know. I don't really know what my goal is. <laughs> I'm just keep going at this point. Um, I'm doing it day by day. Do you think it's interesting because a lot of people, the theory for the, behind the Trump win is you had a lot of people that have felt uh, not served, underserved, not taken seriously by either party especially the political elites the establishment so trump is kind of like hey i'm throwing a brick through the establishment window let's blow up the system and yet when you elect a guy that's got no experience in governing and is kind of inept consistently proves himself seemingly inept about some basics of government it's weird do you think we might wind up with those people actually helping the status quo because if you know even though the majority party the republicans have a lot of power they can't get together on a lot of issues and you might wind up with a lot staying the same because you just have a, a president that doesn't isn't engaged, doesn't really understand how Washington works, doesn't understand policy, and you could wind up with a status quo by de facto. See, I think that's where we were headed if Hillary had won, because a lot of a lot of people wouldn't have been as concerned about her win, despite you know she would have expanded the wars. She was promising us to do that. She has a huge corporatism problem. She was, you know, she was pushing the TPP around the world before she pretended to be against it. So a lot of the problems that we have in the big picture, she is that establishment that people were going against, um, but she does it in a very diplomatic way. The rest of the world goes along with it. So that, I think, was the status quo thing. This Trump stuff definitely is one of the scariest things I've ever witnessed, because like you said, he's completely inept. But what I've witnessed is that people who have never been political before and don't think about it, hey, shush, the people that don't think about it, they're now talking about what's going on in the world and looking for answers the way I was in 2003. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's maybe why I'm struggling so much with the emotions coming at my direction because I remember in 2003 when I came home, I was very unpleasant to be around because I was panicked. I didn't understand how anyone could support the Bush administration. I blamed everything on the executive branch. And if someone didn't agree with me, I'd yell at them. And I think that's just part of one of the one of the like stages of grief, basically you think the world is one thing and then you find out it's not. And I think a lot of us are in the anger stage. There was denial, there's anger, then there's bargaining. Um, then there's something else, depression, (laughs) depression and then acceptance. Yeah. And I think we're going through a mass anger stage, but my hope is that maybe it's good for us in the long term. Like we're going to have a really wild four years, but maybe enough people will start paying attention and see their own power. I mean, here's what's so great, and I'm loving it so much. 
I've never had more people email me about the 2018 midterms. <laughs> like yeah. usually people don't talk about the midterms and they're already talking about it. There's a girl that I know who I like who's running and is a serious candidate in um, a California Republican district. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to witness. So, um, so no, actually I think this might, I hope this is as far down rock bottom we need to get to, to have the awakening we need. Um, but there is the potential for that here. So, and do you think it'll wind up with the legislative branch taking their job more seriously? Like, I mean, a lot, on a no. lot of issues or, or, <laughs> or at least like checking executive power. And I feel like everybody complains about executive overreach until their guys in and yeah. then they're comfortable with it. And now we have somebody that people are a little nervous about and maybe it'll help make people think well all right maybe there's limits to exact maybe we need to be concerned about no matter who's in office so far trump has not done it well i mean there's huge conflict of interests but i haven't seen him do anything in particular that makes me think that he's gonna be because the most surprising thing about trump to me is how he is just kind of a classic republican he's a dopier one who says things and like tweets too much um but he you know obama was droning syria so is Trump. Um, there's so many conflicts of interest. The Russia thing, I think, is mainly nonsense because it's not illegal to speak to Russians. And, and the main charge is like they went on social media. Like, OK. But do you think um, it could be compromised in some way? Like, it's weird when all this the, the, like, to, you know, Obama, right, took away those two compounds in Maryland and New York that Russian you know, the Russian diplomatic corps had here. And after the election, there was evidence that they were using it for espionage. So he, he, he you know, booted them and, and, and confiscated them. Today, Trump gave them back. <laughs> so, that's like, yeah. it's, so it's just strange. I'm like, uh, it, it, it does me. I'm watching the Americans right now. I'm like, gosh, maybe they're just working an asset. <laughs> I mean, I just don't consider Russia an enemy. You know, I'm not some Cold War person who's afraid of the big red beast. Like, I don't. I know that we're spying on literally the entire world. And by yeah. the way, so does the entire world. We're copying all internet traffic. Like, so for us to go and be like, how rush, how dare Russia spy or like put stuff on social media? Like, I don't know. Oh, no, and, sure. We all and do, that's we the all thing. Do, like yeah, if we wanted yeah. to take down Trump, let's say like we're all, I think everyone's pretty nervous about Trump, right? Making that the reason <laughs> is a really bad move on the Democrats part because sure, sure. I'm it far might, yeah. more disturbed about Kushner's sister selling Chinese uh, visas to the Chinese to get yeah, business investments yeah. for her family. Like that's the type of corruption that I'm more concerned about. And we're already, I mean, Trump has business interests all over the world. And like Rex Tillerson is our secretary of state. The head, he was the head of ExxonMobil. And now we have a friendly relationship with, with Russia. And we know that ExxonMobil has been trying to get those sanctions to go away yeah. so that they can drill with Russia. Like, so there are so many business related connections. And my biggest concern with the Trump administration is the corporatism. We elected a walking, talking, multinational corporation to head our country. So that's more of my concern. And yet that's not what we're talking I, about. So I, is Congress going to change their tune? I don't think so because he's kind of doing a lot of business as usual. But I wonder if, if like that issue that you're pointing to with Exxon and Russia and also the Russian connections is like almost one of the same because Russia is like, it's a kleptocracy. And I mean, like Vladimir Putin, among many others are just, I mean, personally, Vladimir Putin has so much to gain from those sanctions being lifted. I mean, not just his country, personally, financially. Like, sure. And it's one of these things where, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like mafia tactics, but, but switching is, but gears. I just, I, I, I pay so much more attention to what we do because that's all we can control. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. when I look at our Congress, the people we currently have in office who we've had in office for years, these people are down with the corporatism. So sure. as long as that's what Trump's doing and the scandal is largely nonsense, I don't see our Congress trying to check his power at all because he's doing mm. pretty much what they want him to do, just doing it in a kind of embarrassing way. But they can handle that as long as he's not vetoing their bills and as long as the corporations are still contributing to Republican campaigns. As long as that continues, I don't see Congress changing their ways at all. I haven't witnessed it. They're behaving the exact same way that they have for the last four and a half years. You're, the episode you did before the AHCA one was on Pruitt's confirmation hearing that 
the EPA minister and <laughs> yeah, I the, lost my shit a little bit in that one. <laughs> and the, de- the Department of Interior, I forget the guy's name. He's the guy. Uh, from Ryan Montana. Zinke. Ryan Zinke. Yeah. So it's really interesting because you pointed something out that got me thinking that 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 he Zinke sounded much more reasonable on climate change, right? Than some of the more extreme, some of the right wing. Kind of, and, and and some of the more conservative Christian members of Congress, right? So, who are complete skeptics, and God's going to burn up the world anyway at the end. And we don't need to worry about. It. So he's like, "Look, I believe there's climate change. Point one. He says, point two, I think human activity definitely contributes to it. But three, we don't know exactly how, and you know, it's a, the economy and it's complex. So, but what's interesting is he's going to vote the same way the extreme right wing guy would. It, it seems more reasonable, and it, and 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 that kind of tone is better where I live in, you know, at Philadelphia, Bucks County, that area where there's a lot of swing voters. But oh, he's a reasonable person on climate change. But he's going to vote the same way. They're all going to vote the same way, right? They're all yeah. going to vote to deregulate, right, and and to and to sort of minimize any sort of subsidies to alternative and renewables and clean energy and kind of try to, you know, do the good old fashioned clean coal yeah, <laughs> and other sort of fossil fuels. I love what you said. You're like, look, pick up a piece of coal. Is it clean? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had not had your hands there? You cannot make coal clean. <laughs> yeah. And they just call it clean and people are like, okay, like, I don't know. Yeah. And Zinke, he was in Congress, so I was able to look at his record. And yeah, he votes the same way. So, But that's another thing I learned is that these people say one thing, but it matters what they do. And that's what I'm enjoying about my podcast is I do have the ability to look at what they do and um, and judge them based on that. You know, you can say you believe in climate change all day, but if you're voting for the fossil fuel industri- industry to be able to drill anywhere at any time, well, I don't believe you. So. And you pointed out something that blew me away. In, in one in the hearing, so basically, now tell me if I'm right. I I, I only I just listened to this this morning, but the natural gas, the fr- industry, the fracking, and that's like ninety three billion dollars in profit last year. I oh, think. I have no idea. I think I, I think that was the number you quoted or something. But they and so they the Interior Department had this regulation that because there's this because of all the other problems, but there's just natural gas that just evaporates into the air. And so mm-hmm. they said they have to take 0.2 or 0.3% of the profits, which is like 300 million of like 93 billion or whatever, to, and use that to inspect the facilities twice a year to make sure they're not faulty and then spend some money to catch the runaway gas, which they can still sell anyway. So they yeah. might not even lose the $300 million, right? Yeah. And the interior secretary thought that rule was too harsh. Yeah. Yeah. That's mind-blowing to me. Isn't that mind-blowing? And that was one of the, if you go back and like, I don't necessarily recommend this because it's an old Congress and the shows are embarrassing, but like, if you go back to the very beginning, when I started Congressional Dish, I didn't know what I was going to find. I just started like reading the congressional record. And that was the most shocking part to me was the stranglehold that fossil fuels had on Congress. I had no idea, but it's amazing. And so if you're wondering why we haven't transferred, I mean, it's because they are giving so much money to Congress. And so that's, that's the result. A very simple, reasonable rule is being deemed as too extreme. I mean, that's how much power the fossil fuel industry has and how little they are afraid of, of these congressmen because they just, they own them. It's the most bizarre thing and it blows me away. And and people think that I'm being extreme until they hear one bill after another, after another. And you know, it's, it's bizarre. And and you also pointed something out that I, I had not thought of that and I think it was a brilliant insight that you were talking about Scott Pruitt's commitment to kick everything back to the states. And you 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 played this one quote from a congressman from Rhode Island. It's like, well, we have bad air days in Rhode Island, and we don't have these kind of uh, emissions problems. But we're in, you know de- northeast, and some of it blows other from other states, and we can't mm-hmm. regulate them. We need the EPA. But you say that that one of the reasons for going to the states is. A, most people don't pay as much attention, so it's easier to get away with stuff. And I would guess also implicitly B, it's probably cheaper to pay those politicians because they're small, you know, it's smaller scale, you know, so it's, so you can pay them off easier for influence. And also no, most people aren't watching their, their state reps and things like that. So it's sort of, the, the thing looks very like constitutional federalism, but really it seems like just another extension of playing ball with the fossil fuel industry. That's how I see it. That's exactly how I see it. So let me ask you this. You've been at the con- congressional game now at the granular, detailed, geekalicious level for a while now. <laughs> Best congressman, worst congressman 
each party? Who do you like? Like, who's the, who's the best Republican that you look at as a legislator? You know, and who, or maybe even House Senate, House Senate. Who's the best in the House Senate of each party that you respect and think, gosh, this person, whether or not I agree with all the decisions, I, I respect them. And who's like, gosh, this person is not worth anything. Well, best person in the Senate is easy for me, and it's Bernie Sanders. I have liked him for so long, even before I started the podcast, many years before I started the podcast, he was going on Tom Hartman's program every Friday. They called it Brunch with Bernie, and he would take phone calls from any whack job and answer their questions, and um, and it was so informative, and he would explain what was going on, and he's never changed his tune, so after listening to him for well over 10 years... The person he was when he ran last year is the person he was 10 years ago. And he's he's voted right most of the time. There's certain things that like I don't agree with him on, but like he voted against the Iraq war. So yeah, like, I love when Hillary Clinton was like, only one person voted against it. He's like, me, I was the one. Yeah, I was the one. <laughs> it's me. So um, yeah, I, I really like him and I respect him and I, wa- I watch him as my barometer on what's going on in a bill. So, um, yeah, I like him. Um, competition for worst is so it's, it's a real rough competition. I actually don't even want to go negative. So best in the house. Um, well, I can tell you my favorite Republican congressman is probably Rand Paul because he's definitely ideological and I disagree with him on so much. But there are certain things where he has stood up to his party, like with the domestic spying stuff. He has stood up in a very real way and he'll make good arguments. And um, he hasn't been entirely effective, but I do I do like him. Same with um, Justin Amash. Um, they're okay. And then on the Democrat side, I do like Jim McGovern. I think he's tired <laughs> and he's definitely gone too far on this like Russia crap. But just because he pays so much attention to the process and explains to the American people what it's supposed to be, and he's in the rules committee talking about every single one of these bills, like I've just watched him for so long. He's probably my favorite. Um, yeah, I don't know. My favorite what person you- in Congress is Bernie Sanders. That much I know for sure. What do you think of Al Franken? He is a sellout, man. Tell me I, why. Cause, tell me why, Al Franken. Because he's pretty popular. Like, yeah, because he was on like, Saturday Night Live. If he was on Saturday Night Live, I don't think he'd get any of the attention or credit that he currently gets. But like, I remember him from when he was on Air America. And now he goes to Congress and he's definitely like, when it comes to representing like the, the big telecoms and the movie industry, like he's on board. Um, and he just, I don't know, he just became like a slimy politician he's not funny he could make i know that he's smart enough to go up there and really fight and make good arguments on the floor of the house or the floor of the senate he never really does it um yeah he's just a good old boy now and it's so disappointing i can't really give you an examples off the top any examples off the top of my head but um i'm just really disappointed in him most of the time he takes hobs of corporate money and um because yeah, I, I, he strikes me as a hard as, as a set guy senator that's smart and, and aware but i didn't i wasn't aware of that like i didn't think about the corporate, I guess they're all, it's, that's the exception to the rule, right? Like It is, yeah. There's very few people. I mean, um, Bernie's not really in the in the corporate thing. And um, I'm going to be moving back to Barbara Lee's district, and I really like her. She's in the House. She was the only person to vote against the authorization for the use of military force after 9-11. The only person in both branches of Congress. That is tough to do. And so I really respect her, and she doesn't take a lot of corporate money, Um so it's like they're they're in there, but I mean the way that it works is that people will stand up for what they believe in in some areas and then take gobs of corporate money yeah. in others and kind of compartmentalize themselves. So they're like, I'm helping handicapped children, but I'm also going to bail out the banks and we just won't talk about that, you know? So it's – they're all – I don't think anyone in Congress goes in there to do damage I don't think anyone in Congress thinks that they're corrupt. They just think that this is how it's done. Um, and I think that's up to us to change. Like, if we want to change the culture in Washington, we need to change the people in it because they all think that all of this is okay. And um, and it's also really frustrating to see how often they're, like, thanking each other and saying, you do a wonderful job. And, like, they really think that they're they're doing the right thing. And that's but, probably the most disturbing part. Jim Wallace, who's a 
founder of a community called Sojourner, Sojourners in Washington, D.C., which is a Christian organization, and they publish a magazine. He's very politically active, kind of, you know, especially on issues of poverty and children's welfare and things like that. And he, I hear him say, you know, that we, if you understand politicians, they lick their thumb, put it in the air, and they see which way the wind blows. You know what I mean? And they kind of, and he says, so if you want to shape things, you got to change the direction of the wind. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. That's, that seems really hard. Well, of course it is. But I think the key in like the first step is to start paying attention. And right now we're only paying attention to the executive branch. So as many people as I can just grab and be like, you don't have to agree with me, but at least know this is going on. Like that's, that's something. And you talking about it on your show and like every new voice we get out there, just even talking about Congress is one step closer because like we've had a conversation about the American Healthcare Act. Maybe when someone goes to vote in 2018, they'll look up how their person voted because there's one bill that they knew enough about to actually judge their congressman about. Because that's the other thing, too. Right before you vote, I know that I go and look at my congressman's record. But if I don't know what the bills are, what am I looking at? Right, right. You know, so we need to have more conversations about it. And it's like, yeah, it's a big problem. It's a problem we have to solve. We don't really have a choice. And I just do everything in baby steps. The first Step to solving a problem is admitting that you have one to put attention on it. And so that's, that's the step I'm trying to go for. And, and from there, I'm just hoping that everybody does their part, you know, or we're all a piece of this. Oh, I don't know. I know it's hard. And sometimes I get really down about it. And sometimes I have hope and, but I know that more people are paying attention now than they used to. So we gotta, gotta use that and just keep going. Yeah, and there's no better place to tune in. I mean, I really, I'm going to be an evangelist for your show from here on because I really do think it's excellent and, it, and it's and it's entertaining too. I mean, you, you do a great job of making the detailed analysis interesting and fun. But but I just learned after just a couple episodes, I learned a ton of stuff. It was just and my my congressman, Congressman Fitzpatrick from the Philadelphia area, he has his staff has said he'll come on the show. So before nice. that happens, I'm going to call you and ask you for a bunch of questions yeah yeah oh i would love that we can geek out on his record (laughs) so our so our listeners can can find the congressional dish in itunes or wherever they download their podcast right Mm -hmm. it's also in google play and then i also have um free congressional dish apps available for iphones and androids because like i said earlier like i think the most valuable thing i do is i give you all my sources so if you're interested in the stuff or if you don't believe me, you can always go into the show notes. I give you every article that I that I read. I give you the timestamps of all those sound clips so you can see if I took them out of out of context. I also give you, um, like I said, the the outline of all the bills so you can look at the provisions yourself because like, who am I? So, um, and that in the app, um, you get the show notes automatically. So, so yeah, it's available anywhere podcasts are and, and also congressionaldish.com. Will you come back on the show in a couple months and just like give us an update on what to pay attention to? Anytime. Thank you it so much. It would be my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. I did too. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you like what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great check it out spread the love and goodness if you've found it here also if you could go please 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 it takes like 60 seconds go to itunes and write a review and give it give a rating to the podcast it really really helps especially as things are getting off the ground and please do check out jen's podcast the congressional dish it is the place to go for really detailed interesting engaging political analysis Thanks again for listening, and until next time, fare thee well.